HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Gary Hirschberg, CEO of the Hirschberg Entrepreneurship Institute and co-founder and chief organic optimist of Stonyfield Farm, the company he grew from a small organic farming school in New Hampshire in 1983 to the world's largest organic company with over $370 million in annual sales when he stepped down in 2011. Gary is also founder and chair of two nonprofit advocacy organizations, Organic Voices, and the Northeast Organic Family Farm Partnership. He's the author of Stirring It Up, How to Make Money and Save the World, and frequently speaks on topics including sustainability, organic agriculture, and the profitability of green business. Gary has served on the boards of many organic and natural brands, including Annie's, Applegate, Honest Tea, Late July, Orgain, Sweet Green, and Unreal Chocolates, and currently serves on several boards, including Tacombe, Uncle Matt's Organic, and Willa's. He has received 12, count them, 12 honorary doctorates and numerous awards for corporate and environmental leadership, and remains a huge advocate for CPGs with triple bottom line missions. It's an honor to have you here, Gary. I can't believe I got through the whole intro without messing up. And thank you so much for coming on the show. No, nice work, Ali. I'm, I'm very happy to be with you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, you know, we always, we, we, my listeners and I kind of joke about how they're the, uh, how I built this shows. And then there's the like, how the heck am I going to build this? And that's kind of what mm -hmm. this show is all about. Um, it's very brass tacks. It's, it's not the sort of, you know, I slept on the couch and now I'm a gazillionaire. Um, but we do need to sort of go through a, a very quick synopsis of a somewhat iconic story. Um, you were a food policy and an ag guy, you ended up running a multi-billion dollar company, and now you're helping other companies build. I guess the big question for you is, what's the through line of, of your career? You know, yeah. how would you sort of sum it all up? Sure. Well, let me, let me first uh, say, uh, for folks who um, are wondering how the heck I do this, um, the how I built this episode that they did on me is is worth listening to. Yes, uh, because it it um, it will make everybody feel better about their problems. Uh, <laughs> because we went through uh, you know what I call uh, sort of 
12 years of, 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 of sort of endless valleys of death. So I, I want to, I want to say as a, as a starting point, it's never easy. It's never been easy and uh, Mm. you can do it. And that's been kind of, you know, I think a lot of this world that you and I inhabit is all about resilience. And I think determination is the most um, undervalued and essential ingredient for success uh, also, I want to make a correction. You said in the intro, we're the largest organic company, we're largest organic yogurt company in the world. But um, you know, when we when we started, uh, uh, I mean, it's it's a noteworthy point because you know, obviously, in 1983, there was no organic segment. So, mm-hmm. um, so the, the 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 quick answer to your through line question is that, uh, in fact, uh, you know, I grew up in New Hampshire. I uh, was obsessed with the outdoors. I was a ski racer. I was, I became aware in the um, late '60s and '70s of the challenges of climate change. Even back then, uh, went off to college to uh, an innovative experimental school where I was able to create my own program. And I really ended up focusing on on climate change and and mm-hmm. and why it was happening and what we could do about it. And that led me to, uh, <clears throat> as you say, become more expert in the organic space because uh, I learned from my um, field work back then and and, and uh, my work at a, a nonprofit I joined and then eventually became the director of right after college that that if you want to make uh, uh, you know an enormous difference in terms of slowing or reversing climate change you've simply got to go organic I mean yeah. uh, or, 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 or most people understand organic to, to mean reduce pesticides and herbicides and toxins, all of which is true, but it, it, it is also the most climate-friendly form of agriculture, uh, the only climate-friendly form of agriculture. In fact, this this word regenerative, which gets overused, we might talk about, but it, it mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything unless it's, it's organic regenerative. So anyhow, mm-hmm. I was doing that work, um, running a nonprofit, uh, depending on some federal and private uh, assistance back then and uh, helping my partner Samuel, the, the actual creator of the Stonyfield recipe and the originator of the, of the company um, with his wife, Louisa. I was helping them run their little organic farming school in New Hampshire. I, I was one of his directors. And then Ronald Reagan came to office mm. and uh, literally on the first day of the Reagan administration slashed all funding for uh, uh, organic agriculture research at USDA, renewable energy at the USDA, yeah. and basically any environmental funding. So to make a long story short, um, we would sit at Samuel's board meetings eating his absolutely extraordinary yogurt that he made from uh, his one cow, Lilibel. And um, <laughs> one of us one day, we never quite remember who this was, uh, said, Maybe we should start selling this stuff because, you know, yeah. all, all kind of mo- money for our work had dried up. So that was really the roots of Stonyfield. We certainly never dreamt uh, that we would create a large company. We just wanted to keep our school alive. And and we certainly never dreamt that the organic sector, I mean, we I guess we dreamt, but we never imagined, mm-hmm. in fact, that the organic sector would now exceed $65 billion in the U.S. and be the you know, 30 year fastest growing trend in food and ag. But it's been, um, as I say, in the early days, I, the, the way I like to summarize it for your listeners is that, you know, we had a wonderful company in those early days. We just had no supply and no demand. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know, no one understood what the hell we were doing. What was this stuff called organic yogurt that costs, you know, I mean, Dan and yogurts were, you know, three for a dollar or 49 right. cents on a bad day. And we were, you know, we couldn't even touch the shelf for less than 69 cents. And, mm-hmm. and isn't all food organic? You know, I mean, it was just a world that didn't, yeah. nobody understood what the hell we were doing. Yeah. I mean, there's, it, I, I did listen to the, how I built this. I, it's funny because I listened to it, I think like two or three years ago with my son, who's now 23 in law school. Um, and we listened to it because he was, he was just starting to get interested in sort of like big issue things. And I, I had forgotten that it was the first, how I built this, he listened to. And last week when Mm -hmm. I went back to listen to it in preparation of writing this draft, I saw that I had already listened to it and that I had forwarded to him. And then we talked about it and he, and he, he's, he's is now a big fan of the show and of you and of everything and partly what he's doing in law school. So 
thank you for that. Yeah. Um, well, it's, you know, it's a good, yeah. it's a good, I mean, as I say, it's a study in determination because, uh, yeah. you know, you are inventing a category in your own uh, other am. life and, <laughs> And we, we were as well. And, and frankly, you know, the continuation of that through line is that over the decades, once we sort of achieved break even, which took us about nine years, literally mm -hmm. uh, nine years of. And, and by the way, there was no institutional investing back then. It was all hand to mouth, you know, individuals. Yeah. I had 297 shareholders, yeah. the biggest of which was my mother in law, which is never a good idea. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, but, but the point she is, thought it was a good idea. Finally, no, no, she, she, you know, my mother-in-law and I both thought it was a good idea. My wife was horrified by the whole thing yes. and used to call her in the night and say, mom, don't do it. Don't do this anymore. Uh, when I would ask for some help with payroll. Um, right. but, but, but I, the reason I, I refer, reference that is to simply say that, you know, so much of this is just putting your head down. And, yeah. and um, you know, trying things that if they don't work, getting back up again. And mm -hmm. so nowadays I, of course, uh, coach, you know, I, I invest, as you mentioned, I mean, that was about a third of the list of boards I've been on. I'm, I'm, and I'm actually <laughs> on more than you mentioned. I mean, I, 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 my, my, my mission is really to, and, and Samuel's and my mission from the beginning was always to, um, you know, we, we, we believe that business is the most powerful force in the world. We believe nobody really set out to warm the planet and toxify and destroy right. biodiversity and, and, and cause, you know, uh, all manner of cancer and, and health I issues, autism that's out of control because of pesticides and other toxins. But, but this is what is, this has been the, the unconscious result of a whole lot of small steps. And, and we believe that the only way out of all these messes is to engage business, engage commerce to work our way back. So that's mainly what yeah. I do now is through my entrepreneurship institute, through investing, through coaching, helping uh, hundreds of entrepreneurs kind of skip the learning curve, uh, shorten mm -hmm. their time in the valley of death, um, not yeah. make my <laughs> mistakes and, uh, and try to grow faster because, you know, you have a son, I have three children and a, and a granddaughter now. And, and, you know, they, uh, the world that they're inheriting is obviously very grim and we need, we need yep. conscious and, uh, conscientious and green capitalism to, uh, to, uh, restore some balance to this, uh, crazy world we've created. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is a very clear through line. And I remember reading, um, who is the author that wrote the triple bottom line book when I was getting my master's and I had never even heard, you know, I mean, you know, the idea that there are businesses that do well and do good. And the idea that, you know, the, I mean, I think a lot of what I heard in your, in your, how I built this and what I've read that you've written is that, you know, doing good things for the planet is all very well. But if you can't sort of prove that there is a business case for funders to support those things, you're, you're a little bit, it's, it's tough. And I mean, as someone who yeah. has been doing a lot of nonprofit work in the food, you know, sort of space for, I mean, that's why we're on Heritage Radio Network. It's a nonprofit, you know, food network. That's, my first show was an urban ag show before I started this. Like mm -hmm. it, it, you're still reliant on, on pockets of money to fund your work. Um, you know, and like you said, I think I would even take it a step further. I, I would say that my uh, business life, which is now coming on, uh, you know, 40 years um, has been a, uh, has, has I, I have proven that it's actually more profitable to be green. And I think that's right. actually <laughs> my main purpose is not just, yeah. I, yes, you're absolutely right. We, you know, these, uh, I mean, engaging in, um, green commerce, whatever you want to call it, you know, renewable energy, organics, regenerative organics, uh, mm -hmm. it's all well and good. As you say, you've got to show that there's a real business case and, and by the way, those rules have tightened up. I mean, right now, mm -hmm. post COVID, it's it's more that's more true than ever. But but I don't think we should be uh, stopped there. I think that's that's like table stakes. I think table what stakes. what I see as my as my uh, 
real mission in this world is to demonstrate what I now know, not, it was a hypothesis when Samuel and I started, but, but, but actually, you know, by going green, by authentically making a business that is restoring the earth, that is improving people's health, not just less bad for people is improving Mm -hmm. farmers uh, plights, family farmers plights and, and putting carbon in the, in the soil and, and, and encouraging biodiversity you, it goes hand in hand. Those things all tend to be more profitable. And, and the two reasons for that is first, you build more resilient and reliable and cost-effective supply chains. And I'd be mm-hmm. happy to make that case. But the second is, and this is more true than ever because of your son and my kids. I mean, the next gen, this is the first generation now that doesn't need to be lectured about climate change. They see it happening. It's here, right? They see it happening yeah. every day. They don't need to be lectured about cancer. Uh, what's going on, what we're doing to our bodies and ourselves and animal health. And, 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 and so they, this is a consumer who now not mm-hmm. only knows He's that, for these products, but right. yeah, they, they require, they require full transparency, authenticity. And so when you're actually doing this work in your, and, and you can, you know, Stonyfield, our greatest uh, success in marketing these days is, is to get out of the way is to bring bloggers and influencers and journalists to the farms and let them just talk to the farmers. And they hear for themselves, these farmers, A, are successful even with small herds, B, um, you know, they're healthy, their water is healthy, their air and their soil is healthy, their animals are healthy, and C, they're making more money than they ever would. In fact, right. most of our farmers would, wouldn't even have survived if they'd stayed conventional. And and increasingly, you know, there's a class of investors out there who, who f- actually understands that this consumer, um, if you're not providing this consumer with that level of honesty and transparency and integrity and real, real achievement, then uh, you shouldn't even invest. Yep. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to break down some stuff that you did learn along the way that you help founders with today. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Gary Hirschberg of Stonyfield Farm and the Hirschberg Institute, among many other things. Um, Okay, so I'd like to sort of talk a little bit about, there's something that I think early stage founders miss, and I'm including myself in this. Um, you said something interesting before about, you know, we were a great business without sales and without a supply chain. Um, there's a lot of businesses, we see the sales coming. We see that there is demand. You had demand. You had a lot of stores that started wanting the yogurt. You had major supply chain issues um, and cash flow problems for the first decade. And I think I what I'd like to hear is sort of like, your perspective on sales, what, what should our goals be in your perspective early on? We know we need to kind of come out of the gate quickly. A lot of us understand that we're supposed to build loyalty early on, but there seems like there's something more that some of us are missing. And it's this gap kind of in the in our understanding of what our goals really should be for the first couple of years when it comes to sales and growth. And I'd love your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, thanks, Ellie. And and you know they've changed. I mean, the landscape mm-hmm. has changed. I would say, I would say for the last decade or so, once a a bunch of us and you know you referenced a bunch of the boards I was on. Once a bunch of us kind of proved ourselves in the marketplace. Um, what the investor uh, world in, in particular wanted was growth, right? Grow, grow, mm-hmm. grow. Uh, nowadays, it's really about show me you're profitable, uh, show me you're cash efficient, show me you can uh, manage, you know, you can build a positive cash flow. And and um, so uh, I, I just want to slightly correct what in your question, you said, you know, we had mm-hmm. demand. In fact, we didn't when we started. We had <laughs> Uh, we had, I mean, nobody knew why they should be paying 50% more for a little cup of yogurt when they thought all yogurt was healthy. And so, and you have this artful challenge, right? Which is to, Mm -hmm. you know, help a tiny, you know, two inch by three inch package somehow explain, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're, you know, what, what you're really doing. And of course it's not possible. I mean, even Dr. Bronner's can't get their whole story on their bottle, though they probably right. tried harder than anyone. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. the thing is, is that uh, you, I, I, I think the first objective of sales is trial. And, right. um, you know, the, 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 I always say that we can ship the yogurt 3000 miles. It's the last 18 inches that make all the difference. You, you know, the thing about loyalty, which is the Holy grail and, and, and it has to be the Holy grail when you're a better for you product. The reason mm-hmm. loyalty must be the holy grail is it's once you have it, uh, you get the the uh, most powerful force in consumption, uh, which is word of mouth. Um, right. And and w- you know, in other words, when a consumer, a friend, or a loved one, or your kid, or you know, tells you you got to try this stuff, that's so much more powerful than advertising. And the other yeah. thing is, better for you products cannot afford advertising. So. So the, right. the way I sort of summarize the whole thing is that, you know, the, the traditional consumer product model um, is, uh, which, which to answer your question, must be avoided at all costs, is mm-hmm. to make your product as cheap as you possibly can so you have a big gross margin to then buy lots of advertising. And the theory that, you know, took place, you know, was effective in the 50s and 60s and 70s and maybe even 80s was... If you with if you buy enough GRPs, if you buy enough gross rating points of media, you you get reach, you get frequency, you get you know you bombard people with messaging multiple times mm-hmm. like a political campaign, and eventually you get trial, and after right. trial you get hopefully repeat uh, purchase, then repeat purchase, and then eventually you hope you get loyalty. And as I said b- before, I think the thing that we all must do is we need to skip that whole process because a it's too expensive we can't Mm -hmm. afford it uh and b when you cheapen the product you're just the same as everybody else and i cannot tell you how many wonderful or uh, well-intentioned founders and organic and natural brands failed because they tried to match the pricing uh you know they they tried to you know do shortcuts or they tried to match Mm -hmm. the pricing of the conventional counterparts so my 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 uh, advice very simply is number one, uh, put your money into your product. Make sure it is, at, if it isn't better than what's out there, don't even bother. And that, that can be right. defined as taste or, you know, it has to be, if it's food, it has to be taste, but also, you know, the ecological benefits, the, the simple label, the simple ingredient. But don't skimp there because that's where you're going to get your loyalty. Number two, focus on trial. Uh, do everything you can. In our case, we went to, you know, this is the early 80s. We went to nuclear protests and, you know, pulled up our little van. You know, in those days, we couldn't refrigeration, so we drove fast with the windows open. Right. And you know, get there and, and hand out samples and get it into people's mouths so they can have a wow. And then, of course, nowadays you have advantages that we didn't have back then. You have social media. So you mm-hmm. can actually, with QR codes and so forth, get people to actually see what you're doing and tell the story. So it's get them to try it. Uh, get them to take a look. Um, the other thing I would say quickly, uh, because this is you're asking a question that we could spend hours on, but mm-hmm. is uh, be be re- be ready to say no to bad deals uh, right. with the retailer or the distributor. Um, so many of us are desperate to put it on the shelf, and we'll say yes to anything. And um, you know the trade uh, nowadays. You know what what I mean by that is retailers, uh, restaurants. Uh, 
distributors, wholesalers, um, they're just as desperate as we mm-hmm. producers are. Uh, it's a tough, tough time financially. Yeah. And so, you know, they're going to follow my favorite adage, which is if you don't ask, you don't get. And they're going to ask for crazy stuff. And in fact, trade spending, that gap between what you list your price at and what you actually get, uh, that, mm-hmm. that gap from gross to net has d- more than doubled in my last, uh, in, in my career. It was, you know, a small, small part of our business back then, promoting and allowances and in-store ads. Now it's just, uh, you know, it can sink you. So you, yep. you, you, you have to know, you have to go in knowing what your price must be. And again, with my Entrepreneurship Institute, uh, we really, we start the, you know, three days with a bang, just focusing on cash flow and focusing on saying no to bad deals, knowing, knowing what you can afford, what you must get for a price. And if you're not getting it, um, you know, be, walk away, find another way. Uh, because yeah. so many companies, you know, fail at the starting line because they gave it away. And then, and then, by the way, once you make a bad deal, it's almost impossible to undo that. Yeah. You know, this is real. this is, this is a little off sort of like my, my draft of questions, but it, it, it's coming at a time where we're, we're in a strategy week internally. And, you know, as, as I'm sure you can imagine the natural channel and, you know, sort of the biggest players in there are our biggest customers. Our velocities are in some cases quadruple what they are in other retailers. Um, we have beautiful sort of, you know, banners of, you know, you know, six skews and sometimes we have eight facings in certain Whole Foods. Like we really look beautiful. We do well. We're very accretive. And it's interesting because, you know, today we sort of had this conversation of, you know, maybe there's something to be said for just fishing where the fish are in a way and, you know, going really, really deep with a, with a fresh product that is a premium product that is a, as you said, like a new category, you know, that that's hard from a consumer education. Why is it in a pouch? Why, why is it fresh? What, what is chimichurri? I mean, my, my podcast guests hear me say this all the time, but we were saying like, what if we took the resources instead of trying to go bang down doors, you know, we just took all of those mental and financial resources into even doubling the velocities in the doors that we're in. I mean, we're working on that anyway, but I think we have a foot No, but, but, but you're, yeah, but you're, listen, you're, you're uh, absolutely dead on correct. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I probably in a given week talk to, you know, 60 companies I'd say, and uh, more than ever, I'm recommending, uh, First thing first, uh, own your market, where you are. Mm-hmm. It's the place you can make yourself known to the retailers. So if you're in Brooklyn or you're in San Francisco or, or you're in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, mm-hmm. you know, get you become, you know, the brand in that market. And that uh, that enables a couple of things. First, you get some some volume, you get some trial, you get to learn and try lots and lots of things that work. And so many companies get enamored with this idea, let's go national or Sprouts or, you know, Whole Foods, you'll say, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you come to us and make a national presentation? Well, you know, it, it's expensive to transport and it's expensive to support and merchandise, you know, and I know, you know, you can get it on the shelf, but it's getting mm-hmm. it off the shelf that that really counts. So yeah. I, I, uh, I counsel 60 times a week, uh, to concentrate on your local market, concentrate on velocities, build your success story. And, and, and there's, you know, two reasons for that. One, you're going to have a better story to bring when you do finally branch out of your uh, geography or your sector. And, but much more importantly, you're going to have your, you're going to have confidence. You're going to build your own confidence. And, you know, we began our conversation with me saying to you that determination is, I think the most undervalued and underappreciated and essential ingredient for success. Well, that, you know, that determination doesn't just come because you say, I'm going to be determined. You you have to have some confidence and the mm-hmm. confidence comes from, you know, trial and error and figuring out what works. So 
I, I think cash efficiency, I, I mean, this idea that, oh, I'm going to become, a, you know, a national brand. You know, people look at Stonyfield or 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 I know you had John, my friend John Foraker a few, mm-hmm. uh, some time ago. You know, I was on his board of Annie's from the very beginning. And so many of the other brands I mentioned, you know, Applegate and Late July and all we of these brands Applegate. I've known. for. Yeah. The, <laughs> and I was on their board. Steve, you know, the founders, my my best one of my best friends from college. Um but, but, you know, uh, everyone looks at these brands now, especially new entrepreneurs, and says, oh, I'll not, you know, how did they get to be so big? Well, they got mm-hmm. their one spoonful or one bite and one mm-hmm. skew at a time. And, yep. you know, you forget that. Uh, you know, you don't. Uh, I mean, I call Stonyfield a 30-year overnight success. Yeah. You know, we, <laughs> we, 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 you know, you have to. And 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 what you're really talking about now, Ali, is so so. If there was ever, if there was one message, I would want your listeners to take away. It's now yeah. is the time to be capital efficient because yep. honestly, the investors are scared. And now you add this banking crisis, this crazy mm-hmm. war, which is driving supply chains mad. And so so you know, concentrate on where you are. Build your velocities, which is another way of saying build your confidence. Build yep. your story, and um, you know, take take your time. There's no need to rush out. So many brands, you know, we just went through a, a really stupid period in the sector yeah. because, as you know, yep. organic and natural was like the 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 new, the new new thing, and so much mm-hmm. money flooded in, and a lot of it got thrown at retailers that made the retailers drunk on on, you know, Mm -hmm. in-store merchandising, you know, ads and allowances that are really not affordable. And, and a lot of brands were rushed into growth too fast and they didn't make it. They ran out of cash. So controlling your destiny means, uh, you know, you know, growing with care and, and with a real focus on velocity and margin. Yep. No, I think that's, I think that's great advice. And it, you know, we hear it and, I think a lot of us, you know, we've been national at Whole Foods since 2020. We've been national with Sprouts since 2022. Um, and I think it's a good message, you know, depending on what stage you are listening to this, you've heard so many really wise people who have done this say, don't grow too quick. You're going to see a lot of people posting a lot on LinkedIn, hopefully a little bit less now about raising this much or this many doors, you know, it doesn't yeah. mean all that much. And I think even more, once you're past that stage, then it's thinking about channel, you know, and that's something yeah. that I think I miss. And I've said this also, like, I think I misunderstood how vastly different the natural channel is from even the more quote unquote progressive conventional, you know, retailers. They're not progressive. They're not natural. They they want to play in the innovation world because they know that there is a consumer who wants that and they want to kind of, they want to keep innovating, but they don't really know how to work with better for you brands that require some education. And a lot of us really do require yeah. education. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, you uh, said earlier, you know, as a new creating a new category and being perishable, you're, you're particularly uh, vulnerable to this. Uh, I would mm-hmm. say it's true across all sectors. Uh, you could be in pet food in the middle of the you know, dry section of the store. Again, it's about controlling your destiny. I mean, just, just mm-hmm. a word about channels uh, to your point. You know, first of all, you, you're absolutely right. As you know perfectly well, natural food retailers still have to keep their doors open, their lights on, their staff fun- paid. So, you know, brick and mortar is 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 hard. They're under the same pressures that mainstream is. They're they're just trying to you know keep their target you know aimed at at, at the consumer who prefers them versus you know the sea mm-hmm. of junk food out there. But but the other thing is you know I'm coaching a company now in Brooklyn. It's a brand new, relatively new um, organic oat milk uh, 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 barista uh, product. It's absolutely delicious. And, is that you know, Willa's? They, it is, yeah. And Willa's yes, I is, met Caroline know, yesterday. <laughs> okay, well, you yeah. know, Willa's is a is a fabulous little brand. Um, 
you know, uh, very crowded space, right? You got the Oatleys yep. and the Calafias and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, here's an advantage that they have. Uh, first, they're in New York, one of the biggest coffee drinking markets in the world. Uh, two, um, besides the great, the enormous number of retailers out there, there's tons of coffee shops. So they mm-hmm. have two sectors they can play in. Uh, and number three, um, there's also you know, an incredible love of farmer's markets, high touch, mm-hmm. direct contact. And, and, you know, I cannot tell you how many companies I'm coaching. Don't, don't ignore the farmer's markets. Don't ignore that opportunity to go direct to the consumer. One of the brands mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, I'm farming in New Zealand and doing organic farming. I'm building an organic farming school over there. And one of the little brands mm-hmm. I coach over there, um, they have a beautiful, beautiful organic sheep, yogurt and sheep cheese. Uh, mm. and, and they're steady. What pays the bills every single week, week in, week out is the farmer's market. And, mm-hmm. and, and my friends, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 there's a couple and the woman and the couple, you know, four thirty in the morning on Saturdays, she's <laughs> loading the truck, waking up her teenage son, getting to the market and they have, you know, it's a cash business and they do, and they're, it's high touch. And, you know, it frankly allows them to exhale when they go into the week of selling mostly to retailers because, mm-hmm. you know, they've had a weekend of, of uh, great cash flow, great contact, great confidence boosting. So, you know, again, it's all speaks also to the get, building a your marketing backyard. channel there too. The, you know, it's right, sales, but right. it's also marketing because they're, I want to ask you something because, you know, you mentioned Annie's, you know, there's, we, those of us who've been sort of following the business for a while, like, there's Annie's and then there was Justin's and, and there's this sort of like, there was a while in like 2016 where everybody's pitch deck was like, we are the blank of, you know, we are the, you know, this to this as Annie's was to craft. Mm-hmm. Right. And right, right, I right. think th- this premiumization, you know, taking something, making one part of it better, whether it's organic or, you know, taking out preservatives or taking out the dyes or whatever it is, just making it a cleaner, better product. I think that what we're seeing now is that that has a limit to some extent. I guess it always did. And I guess my question is for you, you know, I'm seeing, I help early stage brands earlier than me. A lot of them, I'm like, who are you next to on the shelf? And they'll say X and I'll say, how much is that typically? And they'll say $4 and I'll say, and what are you? And they'll say 10. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel like that's going to work. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious, is there, nope, a, is, is there a threshold in, yes, to your point, the consumer is demanding a lot of things right now. I had Ellie Truesdell on. She, I mean, it was like the laundry yeah. list of what consumers want and also we're supposed to have margins and also be profitable. It's a, it's, a, it's an interesting pickle. But I guess the yeah. question for you is, is what is the limit you think sort of on how much more premium from a price point the consumer, they've been trained, you know? Yeah. They've been well, trained. Well, it varies by cat. Yeah, it varies by category. Yeah. And, um, you know, we could, again, spend a couple hours right. on just this topic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, we mentioned late July, you know, I, I was on uh, Nicole's board and now I'm helping her with Nixie, uh, you know, mm. this uh, mm-hmm. beautiful little uh, organic, uh, 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 you know, spin, organic version of Spindrift. She would she would mm-hmm. hate me for saying that, but I'm, this is the shortcut. <laughs> And, and, mm-hmm. you know, he, so, so, so there's spin drift and Waterloo, you know, already on the shelf, not to mention, you know, some of the commodity waters and she's now launching a new brand and yeah, it's organic and that's her step up. And, but, you know, she's sitting there, like you say, in a sea of cans, you walk down that part mm-hmm. of the aisle at Whole Foods and, you know, they've had no choice, but to price themselves at parity or just above parity just to get trial, especially during right. COVID when people's wallets were tight. So it, 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 on, on the other hand, um, you know, uh, I can tell you, um, you know, with Stonyfield and, and, and Siggy's, which we own and Brown Cow, mm-hmm. you know, we, we as a rule um, generally, you know, felt that we had leeway because 
there was real integrity to what we were doing. The labels were cleaner. We were actually doing the things we were talking about. We, we had mm-hmm. what I call a low talk do ratio. You know, we, we didn't exaggerate what we were doing. We were really doing what we were saying. And you could see it. You could go online and visit the farm or see Siggy in Iceland or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, the brown cow farmers out here in California. And um, generally, we used as a guidepost around a, a, around a 12 to 15% premium that we felt we could take now that that like i say i wouldn't don't take that to the bank because no but i do appreciate an actual category yeah yeah but that that is that 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 was uh now again i already told you when we started you know dannon was uh you know you know three for a dollar on deal and 49 cents every day and we couldn't get anywhere you know we were we were uh you know minimum 69 cents and really we needed 79 to make money Mm -hmm. so we were already you know uh 40 percent premium to them. Right. Uh, but we had no choice. And that, that gets me back, Allie, to the to the mm-hmm. point I want I want to really underscore that we said earlier, and I'll tie these two points together. First, um, yes, you need to observe realistic premiums and you shouldn't even start if you are going to be $10 to, to a $4 item. I couldn't agree with you more. You got to be within some reasonable parity. But on the other hand, you've got to be sure that you're, it's making sense. The moment you give a retailer or a distributor or a wholesaler or price, good luck changing that later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you might increase it by small increments. So don't go in there at a price that is unaffordable, that where you're losing money on every cup in my case or pouch in your case, uh, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, um, you know, another way to get at, uh, at that premium range is maybe you have to alter the size. I mean, right. we, we, when, we, when we were launching Greek yogurt against, uh, you know, all these players out there um, that were coming in from Greece and so on, uh, we mm-hmm. switched from a six ounce to a 5.5 ounce cup to be able to afford to be within that yep. sort of 10% organic premium. So, you know, find another way to do it, uh, and, but, but just be damn sure you know your costs and you're not selling yourself short because... Uh, that's a that's the quick path to uh, you know early early death really. Yeah, and then I want to talk a little bit about profitability because you know, like we said, I feel like brands today. I I hear it all day long, and I feel some of this pressure myself. We have you know all these different stakeholders. Consumers expect a certain price point. Retailers expect a certain you know everything. Investors want you to be profitable tomorrow and super capital efficient. The people on your team expect to be paid, you know, <laughs> reasonably fair. How you dare know, they? How dare they? Exactly. Outrageous. <laughs> um, but, you know, something kind of has to give. It, it, it's it's kind of hard to hit all of those things, at least within a couple of years, right? You need to yeah. build a bit. Um, so, well, you know, yeah. I, I think, you, you, you know, I know some companies that hit the, hit the ground running profitably and, and candidly, I don't have a ton of respect for their ingredient panel or their packaging choices, but you know, kudos right, to them. Right. Um, but yeah. if you're not building that and you're trying to build something better and you're trying to, you know, kind of do well while you're doing good, you know, yeah. do you have a timeline that you, you think we should really aim for, for profitability, you know, yeah. where the company is? These, these are great questions. Well, l- l- let me first make a plug here because this is the moment to do it. Uh, you know, the Hirschberg Entrepreneurship Institute, yes. it's uh, hirschberginstitute.com. This is, th- this exact question is probably where we spend the bulk of our time. And we do it not by lecturing, we do it with cases. So you would put your case up and I'd have a group of uh, gray-haired, you know, wizened yeah. folks who've made our mistakes, uh, you know, uh, uh, and we coach and try to basically expedite your curve to shorten that time. Because the truth is, when you talk to, um, and by the way, our, our next institute is May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Boulder, mm-hmm. and you can come... Um, in person, which I recommend, but you can also join online and not travel. So uh, people should check out HirschbergInstitute.com. But, but, but to come to the point, you know, uh, we've mentioned a lot of brands in our time this mm-hmm. today. 
So, you know, Stonyfield, nine years to profitability. Honest Tea, 15 years mm-hmm. to profitability. Annie's, yep. 10 years to profitability. I could go on and on. Now, unfortunately, those were forgiving days. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, most of us were younger and we didn't have kids. We didn't, you know, we could live on, on yogurt or fumes. Uh, now, <laughs> now, you know, it's not so cheap to live anymore. Uh, and But the, there also was a kind of a... Uh, you know, we, 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 I, you know, most of those companies I just mentioned were able to bring in money from sort of, um, right. you know, individual investors. I mean, I, I yep. you know, I, I see nine years of profitability. I will say in fairness to us, we only, you know, we only had to raise about $5 million. I mean, I say only, but that's still no, a lot less nowadays. Yeah. Right. So, so, but now, as you know, there's fewer investors, they're more, they're tighter. They've had there's been a lot of um, uh, red ink and, and a lot of mm-hmm. people have lost money. So there's a lot more caution. So I would say that what used to be nine or 10 years is you, you, you really need to try to kind of get there within three to five. And that's mm-hmm. probably terrifying for people to hear that. But again, it gets us back to something we were talking about a couple minutes ago, which is own your market before you yeah. just start you know, reaching out across the country and taking on all these costs. I mean, watch every penny. And, yeah. and, and demo and sample and, you know, do weekend deliveries and sell directly to consumers and come up with subscriptions and innovate or, you know, in the case of Willis or, or another wonderful company in New York called Tosh, which is a pistachio mm-hmm. uh, uh, barista brand, which I also am invested yeah. in. And she was also so, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're great. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I mean, the point is uh, find your, local neighborhood markets and distributors and friends and family and, and, you know, get fan out with the lowest cost mm-hmm. selling us and in your, in your market to keep, get the cash flowing. I, I, I mean, yeah. the biggest problems that were created by the excessive money era were mm-hmm. that companies were encouraged to, you know, fatten up their, um, their payroll and build big overheads to have lots of people to throw out at, at problems. Uh, that's a bad idea now. The better mm-hmm. idea is is hand to mouth, mm-hmm. grow it as slowly mm-hmm. as you can, be lean, uh, don't be so quick to hire that professional, uh, you know, uh, um, um, executive. Maybe you can get them to consult for you. Maybe you can get them mm-hmm. a day a week instead of paying for them for five. Uh, maybe you can give them a little equity now yeah. um, and 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 you know walk before you run together and learn how you work together before you come up with an expensive mistake. So. Yeah. I, I, I think I think three to five is the way to think about it. I also think, um, you know, again, it just comes down to unit economics. Make sure you're mm-hmm. you're charging enough because, you know, the first form of fundraising is sales, right? And and yep. people um, need to, you know, not get enamored with the, oh, I got to raise, I got to raise because everyone's raising. That that yep. came to a crashing, screaming. Slowdown, mm-hmm. if not stop, in in in, yep. in recently, and the bank crisis has made it tighter. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, I think i i might have I might have told this story on the pod already, but I was on a I was leaving Expo West. I didn't have a booth, but I was you know tootling around with friends, and I got a plane. I was on a plane coming home from LA when the SVB thing was happening. And I guess people were so agitated up in the front of the plane because of the bank thing that the pilot actually got on. And he was like, listen, everybody, like we don't have Wi-Fi on the plane. It's not working. I don't know what's going on with all of you, but like, you got to stop harassing the flight attendants. Like you're going to get whatever notifications you need when you land. Like I need you to stop. I've never been on a plane where the pilot reprimanded. That's because it kind of tracks. Yeah. That's because two, two, two thirds of the people at Anaheim were affected by that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Uh, I mean, okay. I was we on have, the floor yeah. when that happened. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it is, I guess that, that leads to sort of my final question, even though there are so many more and we could talk for days, but my final one is sort of the, you've seen a lot. Um, you've seen a lot in this industry. You've seen players come and players go. I think a, a lot of us would agree with you that in fact, 
the big money with the big funding and the massive valuations have actually done a lot of harm to the yeah. industry and to those of us who are maybe building slower, steady wins the race type of businesses. Um, and that's not to wish anyone ill, the people who've gotten those, you know, valuations yeah. and funds. I, I wish everyone well. Um, what yeah. is your take on what the next, you know, 18 to 24 months is going to look like just from having yeah. lived through a few cycles? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's your timetable is an excellent one to frame because I think that's about how long it's going to take before we're going to see capital markets start to relax again. You know, mm -hmm. part, why do I say that? Well, I think this war is going to go on for a while. That's keeping people nervous. It's obviously, you know, hurting economies around the world. I think that, um, you know, we have a big election that's going to come. That's mm -hmm. going to have people very jittery. I think this, is, we have not seen the end of these banks. There was a lot of, uh, you know, we did not learn the lessons of the last crisis. And in fact, mm -hmm. we loosened regulations under, uh, you know, the Trump administration and we're, mm -hmm. we're now paying for those. So, so I think uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times in this pod and I will close with this. The issue, the key question is how do you control your destiny? Right. How do you make yourself less vulnerable to what's going on out there? And I think I cannot say it strongly enough. Uh, keep your belt really tight. Watch your pennies. Beg, borrow and steal your help. Uh, see what you can do, you know, from your kids, your family. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mother, bless her, she's 93. She plays pickleball all the time. But she demoed and sampled, <laughs> you know, right alongside all of us, uh, you know, for 30 years. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's. That's, that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, take heart, listen to that, how I built that, this podcast, because you'll see, you know, you can survive as long as you're fit, you're taking care of yourself, right? You're mm -hmm. getting exercise, you're eating well, you're, you're in a loving space in your life and, and, and your family's healthy and well, uh, but then keep the cash part of it tight. And, yeah. and, um, you know, Again, one of the reasons we do the Institute, honestly, Ali, is, is yeah. people, everyone, you know, Lily Tomlin, uh, my favorite uh, philosopher, mm -hmm. always says, uh, we're all in it alone. You know, part of what mm -hmm. we do at our Institute <laughs> is remind people they're not alone. You know, you yeah. have good company out there. And, and I think, I think uh, you know, keep the faith, but keep it tight and take care of yourself. That's the best advice I have. I think that is an amazing way to end, I'm just writing, keep the faith, but keep it tight. I keep, I'm writing the whole time you're talking and I just want to make sure I got it correctly. Um, well, Gary, I mean, you did not disappoint. I told you before, I was like, this was a big one for me. I was really excited you were coming on and I feel like I could have asked a gazillion more questions, but you got to the heart of it. And there are a lot of people that are going to be really excited about listening to you and definitely go check out the Hirschberg Institute. I'm now looking at my calendar for May 1 because maybe I should just hop on a plane and get to Boulder. Um, Armin, thank you for engineering. It's good to have you back, even if it's just for a day. And um, I just, you know, again, appreciate everyone. Lots of good stuff going on out there. I think people are nervous, but I also think that this is um, building a lot of community and I think people are being vulnerable with each other. And I think, you know, we are all in it. Um, maybe we don't have to feel so alone. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.